This is Will Ford from Football 365, and you're listening to At the Bridge Pod, a Chelsea FC podcast. What's up, everyone? You're listening to At the Bridge Pod, a Chelsea FC podcast, your number one source for all things Chelsea. This week, we're going to be talking about one of the nicest men in football. He spent two and a half seasons at Stamford Bridge and is seen as a true cult hero. It is the one and only Juan Mata. Now, here are your hosts all the way from the UK, Mikey Berth and Chris. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of At The Bridge Pod. I'm your host, Mikey, and today I'm joined by two incredible co-hosts as always. It's Berth and Chris. How are we doing, guys? Hello. Yeah, I'm really good. Thank you. I'm really good as well because it's my birthday tomorrow and I can't wait to do absolutely nothing for it. But other than that, I'm really good. Chris, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Happy birthday for tomorrow. Oh, and, stop uh, it. Stop looking, it, please. Looking forward to uh, doing an episode about one of my favourite Chelsea players ever. Oh, oh, it's Willian. It's the special. We've been waiting. <laughs> this is the oh. Hilario special that everyone wanted oh, to hear. waiting. Yeah, for yeah. sure. I think with that, with that tease, we're going to head straight into that newsroom and we're going to see what the latest is at Stamford Bridge. Well, this week we had just the one game and naturally we're going to touch on it, but not in too much detail due to our topic, but... We were in our favourite cup competition as we took on Morgan in the FA Cup. Floated in by Aspilicueta and nodded in by Kai Havertz. Got a bang for his pains there, but he attacked that really well and makes it 4-0 for Chelsea. Eric Adams always knew this would be tough and so it has proved. Lampard's Chelsea with a comfortable win. It was Mount and it was Werner in the first half with goals and in the second it was Hudson-Odoi and Havertz. So, Chelsea are into the next round of the FA Cup with a, a routine 4-0 victory over League 2 Morecambe. So, the question on everyone's mind is, have we found our level? But, <laughs> seriously, what what we thought of that 4-0? Let's just throw them out there. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a professional performance. I think first half, it was quite sloppy at times. Far too slow on the ball, as we have been for quite a while now. I think once we got that goal, that first goal, I thought we played a lot better. Second half was, was really good. We moved the ball quicker and we showed how good we can be, yet it is only Morecambe, but there were definite positives. So I thought Havertz linking up with Werner was a real positive to take forward. I thought Billy Gilmore was very good again. Hudson Adoy again is showing why I think he should be starting at the weekend. And yeah, it's it's again you gotta take the opposition into into context, but I think it was a good performance and I think there's some positives to take going forward. Yeah, I would agree with that. I thought um game started a bit slow. Um Almost like we didn't really know what to make of Morecambe. It's one of those games, isn't it, where you expect you to win and you almost know that you are going to win. It's just a matter of time. So the game didn't really have any intensity with it until the first goal. And then after that, I thought you could see confidence come back as the game went on, which I think is the key thing. I thought Havertz was, was really good throughout, actually. And it was good to see him actually getting in the box beyond the striker and causing problems. Hudson Adoy was, was really good throughout as well. And uh, I thought Gilmore showed why he could be pushing Kante for that starting place because he's, he's just better on the ball. But yeah. he's, still, he's still got the legs to cover the ground on, on transitions. I thought there was there was one moment where they had a counter-attack and he'd come over on the cover. You, know, you can say it's only Morecambe, but positionally it was really good from him. So I thought there was, there was a few positives to take from the game, but it's just we have to take what's come out of that, what we got out of that, into the Premier League games. 
Yeah, I mean, this performance, it, of course, it was against the League Two side, and we were fielding a quite incredibly strong team, to be honest, but it's it's one of the most ideal outcomes that this team could have had after, obviously, the poor run of form recently. Um, it's a clean sheet. Um, Kepa was in goal, so that would do his confidence the world of good, hopefully. Mason scored a goal on his birthday, so outside the box as well. Gilmore, he had a great performance, as you both have touched on. He might get to start this weekend against Fulham, because obviously N'Golo Kante suspended. It could be Kovacic and Jorginho. It's hard one to predict, really, with that. Uh, Havertz and Werner, again, yeah, they were both on the score sheet, and obviously the former contributing an assist, which is great again to see. Bit of a shame that it's against in the Cup, and it's a lower league opposition, because you really want them to hit that, that stride in the Premier League, but fingers crossed. Ziek, he showed why we purchased him in the first place, and Hudson Odoi having a performance that we've we've been expecting with the explosiveness that he's been missing. It's been missing since obviously the Sarri days. Um, we can't take this as we're back, you know, because it's, it is League I think League Two side, obviously, and we need to be consistently. We need to just be much better against the better teams on a consistent basis. But in the timeline of things, I feel it's an ideal start as any team can have on the road back to redemption, if we want to look at it like that. Uh, due to the current congestion, though, the football calendar has, as we all know, they drew both the fourth and fifth round draws together. I was expecting some big ties other than Liverpool United. I thought we'd be getting a Spurs or a City. We've got Luton at home in the fourth round. Not a bad fixture. And then if we get through that tie, which we really, really should really should be expected to. We head to either Barnsley or Norwich in the fifth round. What, what were your thoughts on the, the draw? I, th- I think it was a really good draw for us. I, I think we'd be, I'd be very, very disappointed if we didn't get into the, the sixth round now, to be honest, because you know Norwich and Barnsley, two very good footballing teams, but we showed later on in the season what we can do to Barnsley. Luton, they'll be well up for it. They'll want a cup run, but again, we should be able to ease past them. So hopefully... Like last year, we can have a good cup run because I feel the league slowly slipping away from us now. And by slowly, I mean definitely slipped away from us now. So I think a cup run is, is very important for Frank and, and for the team. So yeah, I think we should get past those two ties. Yeah, it couldn't have been a better draw, could it really? If you'd, if you'd almost, if you'd asked for what teams to come out, you might have picked those ones anyway. So should be easy passage. In yeah. I think it's the quarterfinals. Yeah, that, that, that yeah, quarterfinals. Yeah. It should be, but Luton obviously are down the, the bottom. Well, they're not no not down the bottom, sorry. They're mid-table. They're 14th at the moment. But obviously the championship can change so quickly with a couple of results. Barnsley are doing quite well this season and Norwich obviously top. So you you never know in the cup, but it, it, they're not going to be easy fixtures. I mean, I always remember when I saw Wolves play Barnsley a couple of years ago and Barnsley were a good side. They, they just seem to be quite a, a dogged, dogged team where they, they really frustrate but still play some reasonably okay football. So, yeah, you never know what side of Chelsea, you know, turn up. I mean, it's a worry for me as well this weekend with Fulham because Fulham have hit a stride of form. Obviously, most people when they hear this will have either played them on the Saturday or or not, depending when you're listening. But it, it's a concern because it could be, controversial or not, Frank's final game if the result didn't go the way. I mean, Fulham aren't going to be the walkover they were a few weeks ago. They've shown what they did against Liverpool and Spurs which makes you sort of stand up and think, yikes, okay, Scott Parker's doing a job now. You never know. You never know. We'd like to see a positive result and hopefully with a good lineup this weekend, depending on who plays in that replacement role for Angola Kante, 
hopefully the lads will get done and get three important points. But yeah, I think you're right. The league's kind of gone, hasn't it, at the moment? But then you never know because it's such a topsy-turvy season and games are getting postponed and there's the fixture congestion and everything else. Well, this is why the next two, three games are really important because if we win the next three games, next three, four, five games, we're right back up there again. Like, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's not too long ago we was being talked about as it's between us and Spurs. Now, us and Spurs are suddenly not even in the title race. Now it's Man U it's and Man so, City. Yeah. It, it's weird. It's such a weird season. Yes, I know we're very inconsistent, but Man U have shown they can be inconsistent, but once they get going and keep, keep being consistent, they're up there. And we, we can do exactly what Man U can. We really can. We just need to get it click into gear, stay consistent, stop giving away silly goals, and we'll be right up there again. It's just, it's all down to Frank and the team, basically. The fixtures are, if we remove the FA Cup from it, obviously, we've got Fulham this weekend, then Leicester, Wolves, Burnley and Tottenham. It's an important run of fixtures that couldn't define a tenure, and each one of them is going to pose its own difficulties. I'm not looking at any, I mean, some could say Fulham would have been easy, it's not now. Uh, Leicester is going to be tough. Wolves, they're in a bad run of form, but they still beat us a couple of weeks ago. So I'm not going to... No, I'm not looking at that. Burnley are always Burnley. You never know how they're going to sit back. It's just... Uh, and Spurs is Mourinho and in the Mourinho factor. You never, never know. Fingers crossed, though, we have a positive from it. But who knows? Especially, obviously, everyone knows about that we've, obviously, as a club, been in contact with Tuchel and Allegri recently and Avram Grant coming back. You, it's putting them... The question marks are already there to make you think that the board may have already made a decision. Uh, but at the same time, is that all just... Is it speculation or is it definite that Avram Grant's coming back? Is it definite that have been in talk with these two people, with Tuchel and, and Allegri? It's all hearsay at the moment. No, well, yeah, that's it, isn't it? I mean, who knows? It's changing day by day. One minute he's coming back, Grant is, then he's not. Who knows? We'll see. We shall. Mm. We shall see. So, yeah, we will. we're going to be... Back to talk our main topic after this. For Chelsea fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. Never miss a match with live commentary, goal alerts, lineups, in-game stats and TV and radio links for over 100 leagues globally. Download the free CFC Blues app now from the App Store and Google Play. Welcome back, listeners. Now, this week we're diving into the archives to talk about a player from our history. In recent editions, we have discussed the likes of Damien Duff, Gary Cahill and Gianfranco Zola. It's the cult heroes of Stamford Bridge, the players we loved. But this week we're going to be discussing a player who I think is in that uh, rare 1% of footballers who is loved by all, which is a clue. Uh, it's the very lovely Juan Mata. Mata could be in here. Juan Mata! Oh, hello! What a debut! Oh, Miss Q. Mata scores for Chelsea! Vital away goal! Mata territory, it's Mata angle. Is it a Mata goal? Goal! Yes, it is! Brilliant! Now, Juan Mata is he's a player that is considered by many pundits one of the best attacking midfields of his generation. But where did it all begin? Well, Juan was born on the 28th of April 1988 in Burgos of Spain. He was named after his father, also called Juan, who himself was a forward for local side Burgos CF in the 80s and 90s. Now, Juan Mata, he started his career at Spanish side Real Oviedo before joining the youth academy at Real Madrid. That was at age of 15. So he started relatively young at Real Madrid. That's always a, a big, huge ask. We've seen the likes of, well, many players join at that age and not be able to cope with the pressure. 
But he progressed through the ranks at the La Fabrica, if I've said that right, before moving to their B-side Castilla in 06-07. He was, he was part of a side featuring the likes of Marcello, Alvaro Negredo, Rodri and Danny Pareo, to name a few. Well, he, he would head to Valencia after they paid his release clause in 2007. He was given a chance in the first team squad by then head coach Ronald Koeman due to injury to club icon Vicente. And during his time at Valencia, he was part of some iconic moments. He, he scored twice in a Copa del Rey semi-final to beat Barcelona. He won Valencia's best young player in his first season at the club. And he grew a reputation for being able to find his man all the time. And he had a great partnership with David Villa. Now, guys, how important do you feel Juan Mata was during his time at Valencia? And, and did that side get broken up a bit far too soon? Yeah, I mean, I feel like Valencia are almost one of those teams that, kind of like your Ajaxes and Southampton over here, that just get picked up whenever a good player emerges from the youth or, or from the first team. They're normally gone the season after. I mean, you look how Ajax fell apart after Delit went and after all these players went, De Jong went. What matter at Valencia, I remember watching him a couple of times. I mean, David Silva, he was another one that went from Valencia to Man City. Terrific, terrific players. I mean, they're a big miss for any any side, really. Especially for a side like Valencia relies on the young players to come in through. So it, it was a big miss of Valencia once we got him. But, he, I mean, he just looked the part of Valencia. He really, really did. As soon as the first time, I thought he's going to be an incredible player. Such an intelligent player. Perfect for the Spanish League. Perfect for the, uh, for the Premier League. And, yeah. I was so glad when we signed him. Yeah, I think Valencia are one of them clubs, aren't they, where their whole model is pick up youngsters, buy them cheap, and then develop them and sell them on because they have a lot of financial problems. I think it's why they've never really been able to keep a good squad together. They've had to sell, really, just to keep the club going. So it's a shame for them, but he was a massive asset to us. So I'd, I'd prefer that. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's some incredible incredible content online that describes and explains the uh, Peter Lim and Valencia situation, which you, you should really check it out because it, it's 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 just completely, it's madness, some of it that, um, you, that's been going on at that club. I mean, they've got a new stadium that's just been left to, they just can't afford to rebuild, even though they've started the foundations and started to build this new Mestia and it's just, it's just sort of been left there for years. I don't know how, it's a long time now. I don't know if it's like nearly a decade. It's, it's quite a long time, but with the side, I mean, that Copa del Rey winning season, you know, he was playing alongside the likes of David Albelda, Fernando Morientes, Ivan Helguera, Vicente, David Silva and Villa. I mean, there's so many iconic names for one reason or another. And yet, one matter, he was a key element of that side. He, he helped them secure back-to-back -back third place finishes in La Liga. I mean, his 08-09 campaign was the standout. I mean, he scored 11 and set up 17 in 37. That's, that's impressive. And he had... An absolute incredible connection with David Veer. It, it's truly special. And I think many remember and think of David Silva being the main man when they think of that Valencia team. Because they're only together for three years. And that, you could say nowadays, that'd be a long, long time, But which is quite baffling. But yeah, I think matter was equally as important. Without Juan, it just wouldn't work. They were each as important as the other. And it, it's certainly worth digging out some of the highlights to see how good that Valencia side were. So... We're moving on from Valencia, which Juan did in the summer of 2011. He, he goes to Chelsea for 23.5 million. And he states Fernando Torres helped persuade him to move, which is another reason to love Fernando in my book. Uh, Yossi Benayou would gift Mata the number 10 jersey, which I still didn't know he had the number 10 jersey at the time. And yeah, and his three and a half years saw four men in charge at Stamford Bridge. I mean, 
Andre Villas-Boas, Roberto Di Matteo, Rafa Benitez and Jose Mourinho. But he, he survived a bloated squad to win back-to-back Player of the Year awards. We all remember that. I mean, part of this was due to consistency, let's be honest. He, he also reached some incredible highs at a time when a creative Spanish player was still an exotic luxury in the Premier League. I mean, we all know how important he became at Chelsea. Not only did he set up the opening goal in the 11-12 FA Cup final, but of course, he's the man behind the corner, which set up Drogba's equaliser in the Champions League final. I mean, yes, he missed a penalty in the shootout, but we forgive him because, you know, we went on to, to win the trophy. I mean, I feel this is the best time to let us just talk about his time at Stamford Bridge. I mean, throw in some memories, have some stats. Guys, one matter. Two and a half years at Chelsea. I know I said three <laughs> earlier. I got that wrong. I, <laughs> I was like, he didn't. I wish he had stayed for that long. Maybe it's a bit of uh, hope. But what? let's get into it. One matter's two and a half years at Chelsea. How do we, uh, what do we think? I mean, incredible. I think sort of the best compliment I can give one matter is that he made the game look so easy. I mean, if you look at the Spain squad as well from that time, where they had Fabregas, David Silva, Juan Mata, Xavi, Iniesta, all those players, I mean, you can see why Spain was so dominant in the World Cups and the Euros, because they had so many intelligent players. And Mata, like, like all of them, was so, so intelligent. I think when he first came to the, to the club, he was missing a creative midfielder slash winger. I know we had Lampard, we had Malouda, Kalou, Enelka. But no one quite like Juan Mata who could just get into those little packets of space and find Drogba or find Torres. I mean, like you said, he was a luxury player. And it's amazing that Mourinho didn't see anything in him because he was such an incredible talent. I know Mourinho maybe didn't like him because of his work rate, but you can forgive him because of how good he was. Um, I mean, the game for me that sums up Juan Mata is the game, I believe it was Tottenham away when he won 4-2. And I think he scored two and set up one. And I, that game, he ran Tottenham ragged. I mean, he, he was unplayable that game. And he really did make it look so, so easy. And it just, even that alone makes one matter a hero in my mind. But like, obviously, the corner to Drogba for the Champions League. I mean, the FA Cup final. I mean, I think he scored against Arsenal away to win a game for us as well. So many memories of one matter. But yeah, such an elegant, flawless player that I just wish was still at our club. Yeah, I can't agree more, to be fair. I mean, he was one of them players where he could score a goal, he could make a goal. He was always involved in the game. He was constantly trying to hurt the opposition, which is something I've been critical about attacking players, really, since the likes of him and Hazard, that they don't look to hurt the opposition enough. One matter was never a player who wanted to just keep the ball and have good passing stats. He was always looking to find a goal-scoring opportunity. And I think that's why he was so effective. I mean, he might not have scored loads of goals, but he always scored important goals. I think his, his record against the top teams was really good. He scored a few against Tottenham, Arsenal, Man United. You know, he scored the, the goal at Old Trafford when we won 1-0 there in the, in the league, which I think is the last time we've won there. So... He was mm. an unbelievable player and a really nice guy as well. And it's such a shame that Mourinho didn't like him for whatever reason. Because I think he would have been what David Silva is to Man City for us. He would have oh, been yeah. one of them players who you could have been talking about getting a statue outside if he'd stayed mm. for eight to ten years, I think. Yeah, that's a brilliant shout. I mean, he has to thank Roberto Di Matteo because... 
you know, he kind of changed how he was deployed. I mean, he moved into a, a central attacking midfield role opposed to being on the wing. And he responded phenomenally, as we all know. He was a player who scored big goals, who set up super important assists in the crucial games. You know, that's X-factor quality. What you, you We say about Didier Drogba being the cup final specialist, it, it takes a certain calibre and mentality of a player, and special as well, to put their stamp, their mark on these big, important games. And his second season with us was just insane. I mean, the stats just do not lie. 64 games over the course of the, the season, 35 assists, 19 goals. I mean, 35 assists. That's an assist every other game. I mean, he, he, he left Chelsea, obviously, with an FA Cup, a Champions League, a Europa League, and he got player team of the year honours, obviously, in the PFA. I mean, obviously, that was in 12-13. And he, we talked about his goals. I mean, flashback to the FA Cup final against Liverpool in 2012. He, he opens the scoring in the cup final with, well, we did, sorry, with Mata playing an assist into the feet of Ramirez. And we go on to win 2-1. Mata's name, man of the match, of course. And big game, big player. Juan Mata, he was the best player on the pitch in the cup final for Chelsea in, in May 2012. It's as simple as that. And that FA Cup final felt like a blessing because of how disappointing the season had been from a domestic standpoint. Obviously, we all remember how, I think it was that was the season where Cissé had pretty much sealed us our fate with when Newcastle beat us with that. Yeah, it goal. was. Yeah, yeah, and we finished fifth. I think it was fifth. Was it? Was it fifth or sixth? I, I think it was sixth actually. We were, we were quite. It was just a poor season, and finishing outside the top four is always going to sting. But the second cup final, twenty twelve, is none other than that famous night in Munich. We all know the Champions League final, and that final that 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 was. It was a disappointing Chelsea squad, you could argue. We had no business playing in that final compared to other teams that season. And it was against all the odds we got there. But that is how that, that happens in knockout competitions. It doesn't always mean the best two teams in, in that competition get to the final. That is just how it is. And come of the hour, come of the man. And we're not referring to Didier Drogba. He scored the goal, sent it to extra time. But who played the ball from the corner flag for Drogba to score? And that was Juan Mata. He, that was an incredible assist in a key moment. And it, if he had stayed at Chelsea, I strongly believe, just like Chris said, he would have grown his legendary status even more and perhaps perhaps even been part of our title winning side under Conte. I mean, not sure where he'd have fitted in, but there's always a, there's always a place, always a place. I mean, do you think the fact he was only at Chelsea for just two and a half seasons being, let's say, let's say it's world-class for two back-to-back seasons, give us almost a nostalgic view of his Chelsea career. So if he had stayed longer, would he still be seen in that same light? I think I think if he'd have stayed longer, I think you would have definitely been talking about him the same way that we talk about it in Hazard. I, th- I think when Hazard first came to the club, Mata was still the top dog and it remained that way to the end of the season. I still think the first season where Hazard was still nominated for the player of the year, Matter was clear of him but quite some way. And I think if Matter already have stayed, I think you could argue he would have been clear of Eden Hazard. He's just um it's a shame he was only there for two seasons. I agree with you too. Definitely would have been in the same bracket as David Silva was at Man City. You do wonder if Mourinho hadn't come in, would he have stayed? Would he have gone? Say if Conte would have been there instead of Mourinho, would he have liked one matter? I'm not sure Matter would have suited Conte's style of play, if I'm honest. But like you said, it's one matter. It's still, it can unlock a defence, you know, brilliant at set pieces. His left foot is a wand. So you always have some place for one matter. It's just a shame that he only lasted for two and a half seasons at Chelsea. It really is. 
Yeah, it is such a shame that he left. And especially when you consider that he was out of the team at the time under Mourinho because William was playing and because Oscar was playing. And you just think those both of those players are just not in the same calibre as one matter. Like you said, Mikey, he, he turned up in big moments because he didn't only make the goal in the Champions League final. The year after, he made the winning goal in the Europa League final as well. Oh, so yeah. When, yeah. When, you needed, when you needed a someone to step up one matter did and you know it's something you can't put a price tag on that you know he he didn't cost us that much he wasn't like one of your your giant marquee signings but he come in and he done the job and he affected the game when we needed him most and I just think talking people talk about letting Salah go and letting De Bruyne go and letting Lukaku go but letting one matter go was, was probably the worst transfer we've done in the last 10 years I would say yeah, I, I think just going back to a point, I think what makes one matter so special and what made him so special is you talk about the, the Champions League final and Europa League final. That Champions League final, we were literally, we already had the ball. Matter was already in the game. So to keep that concentration level for, I think it was like the 87th, 88th minute we scored that goal, to then just pop off with the most perfect corner. I mean, you, you look at our corners, like William taking a corner and Mason Mount taking corners. It's no comparison. One matter probably yeah. didn't even take a corner that whole game up until then. And he steps up. And when it mattered the most, he provided it. Same in the Europa League final in the last minute. It's, it's hard to take a corner and get it right any minute of the game. But to do it in the last few minutes of a European Cup final, two years running, you just can't buy that. That, that is absolutely priceless. These big players, like your Hazards, your Matters, your David Silvers, your Salas, you, you buy them and they give you moments that are just that are priceless, and you, you just—it's the X factor almost. And one matter had that more than anyone that we had at the time, and that—that's what made him so special to Chelsea fans because he just provided it with a click of the finger. And massive, massive miss to us when when he went. You say about that that corner? Yeah, we had one corner all game compared to Bayern's twenty, and we scored. I mean, that's a key moment. It's just yeah, it's just yeah, it's special. It, it truly is. I mean. Had another manager been appointed instead of Jose, perhaps Mata would have continued and become a player that hit incredible heights at Chelsea. I mean, unfortunately, obviously, he was forced out through no fault of his own. I mean, he was outcast by a manager simply because because he was mostly an attacking player. I mean, which is unsurprising, given that it was exactly what Mata excelled so well in to win consecutive Player of the Season awards at Chelsea. You know, somehow AVB, Berto Di Matteo and Rafa Benitez all shaped their attacking game plan around Mata. With, with those incredible results. I mean, three cup titles in two seasons. That speaks volumes. Mourinho didn't like it. And, you know, under him, he spent a lot of time on the bench, preferring Oscar instead, who you could say is another cult hero, really. But he felt, obviously, at the time, Mourinho did that Mata needed to adapt to a wider position and work harder defensively. Now, we all know, obviously, that shift that RDM brought in to bring Mata from the wing to a cam did his career wonders, yet Mourinho's reverted back to the previous position. And it still annoys me to this day that he had to adapt to a wider position again and work hard defensively because that damn defensive tracking back nonsense in regards to players where that is not their game or strength. It's, you know, after struggling to secure a first-team place under him, Mourinho sells him to United for 37.1 million, which is still a lot of money at this time as well. And it was it was a good deal, but... Uh, you know, it, it it's painful because you do think we lost De Bruyne, we lost Lukaku, we lost Salah all under Mourinho's watch. 
and he made some poor decisions there for sure. Um, yeah, I, I think depending on how he, it's been difficult to fit into that Conte side. I don't know who he'd be replacing, and maybe Conte would have done the same for defensively. I mean, he wouldn't have been a wing back, but yeah, you never know. You never know. You, you never, never know. know. But yeah, when he went to United, he'd win another FA Cup, uh, a League Cup, and another Europa League. Funnily enough, under Jose Mourinho as well, who actually did use him a fair bit at United. Uh, this is a question I've got to ask. Why do you think it didn't work out at Chelsea under Mourinho, but it did at United? I actually um, think. I think it was because of Eden Hazard. Yeah, that, not, not, yeah. Not, not through Hazard's fault, but I think Hazard just didn't work very hard defensively, but he, Mourinho almost accepted that from him because of how good he was. But Mourinho obviously thought we can't carry two players. So you can't have two players not working hard defensively. And he, he obviously thought Hazard was better, which you can argue he, he is. But he obviously thought that he didn't want both his wide players staying high up the pitch. I think if we didn't have Hazard, I think Matter plays and stays. I think Oscar also played a part because Oscar did actually have the work rate that Matter didn't. Yeah. So, like, like you said, Chris, I was—I kind of agree with you. I think you can't have both of them in the same team. Almost, you can't have two players because let's face it, has never really tracked back. He, he never has been that sort of player, and rightfully so. Some of these players shouldn't yeah. be tracked back because they're so good going forward. But you can have both of them in the team, and with Matt, uh, with Oscar, sorry, and with William in the team, both of them. I know you don't like him, Chris, but William, one of his main sort of attributes is his work rate, and same can be said for Oscar. They worked so so hard. But yet, when Mata went to Man U, there wasn't really an Eden Hazard about, you know, so he was the only one. And even then, though, to be fair, Mata did change his game and adapt his game. And he did actually put in a shift most games that watched Man U. But at the same time, there wasn't 11 of those players at Man U were workhorses. There wasn't one Eden Hazard. I mean, you could argue there is now, but there wasn't at the time at Man U. So I think that's why it worked more at Man U than it did at Chelsea. Yeah. I. Yeah, we. I mean, Mata, he was the best player over the two previous seasons. And I never understood it at the time. Understood it, sorry, at the time. I'm still equally confused today as to why Mata was forced out. But I heard, I've heard the usual tropes from Mourinho. Mata did not work hard enough defensively. He was not physically suited to be a, a cam. Bit very similar to how Mourinho treated Joe Cole by shoving him out wide as he thought Cole lacked the physicality to be a cam. And obviously that, that fate was shown to De Bruyne, Salah and Lukaku for similar reasons, apparently. Uh, yeah, I think the Hazard part is a very, very interesting take. I hadn't thought about that actually at the time, but now I'm thinking about it, it does make a lot of sense. And funny you bring up that, that might uh, be a clue to next week's topic, because uh, I got, got in early, got the script ready on that, because, uh, you know, lack of content, I thought, no, I've got an idea. But yeah, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's nice to see him do well always because he's such a such a great great guy that's that's the best part about him I mean we all know as well his international career we cannot forget about that I mean a World Cup and a, a Euro Championship winner not many players can say that uh, two of the biggest prizes in international football alongside his other incredible honours from his club career and obviously he's still at United but game time appears to be limited as he approaches the, the back end of his career let's say uh, we can't talk about one matter without mentioning him as a person, as I've clearly already touched on. He's a humble gentleman, isn't he? I mean, he's a lovely guy. He, he helped out his former club, Real Oviedo, who who recently struggled to stay afloat and he, by purchasing shares in the side. And 
Of course, in August 2017, he set up Common Goal, where players donate at least 1% of their salary. And that helps fund various charities across the globe, who have many members now. You've got likes of Jurgen Klopp, Kasper Schmeichel, Julian Nagelsmann, uh, US women's national player Alex Morgan, to name a few. I mean, as we draw to a close, what are your final thoughts on Juan Mata? Be it goals, be it his contribution, be it as a person, or where? What, what do you feel? Yeah, I mean, I think with Juan Mata and why he got such a connection with the Chelsea fans, even though he's there for a short period of time, I think he was very Zola-esque in the way he played and the way he sort of conducted himself off the pitch. I mean, you touched on it before, Mikey, but you just can't hate Juan Mata. You really can't, because he always played with a smile on his face. He's very passionate. Um Naturally, so skillful and so good. I think what was so good about him as a football player is he never stood in one place. He was always roaming around the pitch. I mean, you look at Chelsea now, we were a very static team. Juan Mata never stayed in one position for that amount, for too long, to be fair. He just roamed around the pitch and he was so hard to defend against. Just a terrific player, intelligent player. Scored incredible goals for us, incredible passes, assists, all sorts. Two and a half years at the club. I'll never say a bad word about him, even if he did go to a rival. Just a terrific human being. And, and yeah, you just can't hate one matter. Yeah, I'd echo those sentiments. Like He's the only player, I think, who could leave us, go to Man United, and I still love the bloke. <laughs> Everything mm. about him, just it's what a footballer should be. He entertains, and then he doesn't get into any sort of trouble off the pitch. He's very professional. He's very oh, humble. Yeah. He likes to help other people out, like you said, with his with his old club. You know, making sure that they stay afloat, making sure all the footballers try and donate some of their money into better causes. He was a joy to watch, and I'm just glad that we had him at Chelsea, even though it wasn't for as long as it should have been. Yeah, totally, totally agree with that. I mean, I do remember as well. Should have touched on it earlier. I mean, his free kick technique is is special. I mean, before I think James yeah. Ward Prowse overtook him. He was the he scored the most free kicks in the Premier League, I think. But oh, I didn't know that. I think he did because I think he had, I think he had eight, I think. But James Ward-Prowse has since gone over. I mean, I did I did write it down. I put the stats from 2018. I read this, so it might have been out of date. But I'll have a quick Google that before we go. But yeah, I mean, one matter. He scores good goals as well. I mean, the overhead kick, well, sort of overhead kick for Man United. Everyone's will remember that one. Um, what else to say about him? I mean, I mean, his so best. Much. I think his best goal. I don't know what you guys would say about it, but I think his best goal for us was that volley where Torres whipped it over and he came running in against Manu and just volleyed it and almost burst the net. I think that was when it was three when we uh, drew three three Manu in 2012. Yeah, yeah, wonderful goal that unbelievable technique. He scored a goal as well on the half volley at home against Wolves, which was an yeah. incredible goal. I think. Ashley Cole, I think, put the cross in. It was just behind him and he hit it on the half volley into the roof of the net. He had unbelievable technique. I think he's probably the, the player with the best first touch at Chelsea I've seen. His mm. first touch was unbelievable. I, I, I didn't see him miscontrollable. He was unreal. He well, this is what... Yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah. his shoulder and he brought it down and hit it on the volley. Great goal. Yeah, and I mean, this is why I think he's like Zola, like very Zola-esque, because the way yeah. he just caresses the ball makes the game look so easy. His free kicks, the way he sort of glides past players without really being that quick, just naturally an incredible football player. 
Yeah, I mean, um, first of all, that stat was completely out of date because according to this, he's got eight, <laughs> which I knew about. But Solano has nine, Jamie Redknapp has nine, Lampard has nine, Ian Hart has ten, Morton Gaps Pedersen has ten, Lauren Robert eleven, Ronaldo eleven, Sebastian Larson eleven, Zola twelve, Henri th- uh, twelve, and Beckham at eighteen. So I don't know where who. I think that was a bit ambitious to say at the mo- maybe the most current active Premier League player they meant. That, that sounds about right. We'll yeah. go with that. We'll go with yeah, that. Yeah, I Beckham had a lot of free kicks. I was going to say when I read the stat out, I did think surely Beckham scored more than eight. Surely. I was going to say eight. Eight seemed quite low. So I was like, yeah. mm, is that right? No, I mean most probably most active. They probably missed that bit out. I mean for Wan, I mean he was quality for us. I mean during his years at Chelsea, he, he was the kind of player I personally just loved. No real obvious physical qualities, but instead he was all about the vision and the technique, and. I think he's really unlucky because he, he became a footballer at this time period. I mean, it's the age of that free-roaming number 10. It, it's kind of been paused, basically. I mean, even the likes of David Silver and Ertz are having to find new positions and sort of invent themselves and new niches to stay effective. I mean, yeah, maybe some would disagree with that, but that's kind of how you've sort of seen different formations and tactics evolve over the years. And Mata has done has done that too. He has evolved by playing more on the wing, obviously. He got forced there, but... He just doesn't have the attributes to be as much of a star there, I feel, unfortunately, as he would in a central role. But, uh, I mean, I'd absolutely love for him to be played behind the strikers in that free role, threading through balls through. I mean, just not it's just not that common, unfortunately, at the moment. I mean, hopefully it'll return. But, yeah, he's a lovely guy, a true gent. And I still wish he'd have just stayed. And Well, not weren't his choice, but just a couple more seasons. I think he'd have cemented his legacy and... Maybe we would be talking about a statue outside Stamford Bridge. Maybe not. It's uh, it's one to one to ponder. So, with that, I, I think we've come to the end of this Court Heroes episode, and of course another episode of At the Bridge Pod. Uh, it's time for a social media plug, as of always, because uh, it's his birthday. We're gonna let Burr go first. Go on. Ah, uh, thank you very much. Um, on Twitter, I'm at Chris Burford, <laughs> and on Twitter, I'm at Chris zero nine Adam. And you, you can find myself on Twitter and Instagram as that redhead dude. But for all things at the Bridge Pod, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by following exactly that, searching for at the Bridge Pod. You can drop us a like, a follow, keep up to date on all things Chelsea. This will hope this won't be incorrectly released as a previous episode as we've done before. Last week I did mess up with the audio and had an older episode instead of the new. Thank you, Chris Bailey, for pointing that out. And if you're still listening at the end, there's your shout out. Yeah, uh, yeah next. Hopefully next week. I've got I've got the topic lined up. I'll let the lads know after this. So uh, yeah, you'll be looking forward to that. Hazard was the clue. So stick around for that. So yeah, till next time, listeners. That is us signing off.